Hey there, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I want to invite you to check out this live video on YouTube. Go over to Quentin Carlin or Self-Developed Life on YouTube and watch the live video. And make sure you subscribe to the channel to see your next episode coming out this week. As well as subscribe to the podcast here. If you're listening on iTunes, subscribe and share this with anyone you like. And if you do like it, please leave a five-star review and leave a comment that really helps us out to get the word out. And when you do do that, I'm offering you a free one-on-one coaching session. So if you are interested in chatting with me about anything and everything you would like to, go ahead and email me, quintoncarlin at gmail. My email is in the description below. And this is a offer for me to try and get to know you more and support any way I can as a thanks for supporting this show. So without further ado, enjoy the show and we'll see you on the next episode. Okay. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode. Uh, I'm here with a very special guest that I'm going to bring out in a minute. Um, I actually want to bring up the email I got to give you a a total introduction of uh, how we got connected, because I think it was very serendipitous, and uh, he's got a phenomenal story that we are going to get into right away here. Um, While I'm doing the intro, if you want, you can go ahead and check out this video. If you're listening on iTunes, you can go to YouTube. Uh, and you can also go to uh, any of the other platforms to check in and subscribe. Um, but who I have here, I, my computer is just a little slow. Uh, here we go. Um, I got an email from uh, this gentleman's agent uh, about a week ago when I put out a message to Social Media Universe saying, hey, if there's anybody out there who has a great story of someone I'd like to or who would like to be interviewed, um, I'm definitely interested in, in featuring people, and uh, I got an email by this gentleman's agent, and I will just read out the, the email because it was just like totally up my alley. Uh, so it says, hi, Quentin. My name is Trevor. Uh, I work as a podcast booking agent, and I believe my client, Joe Mincer, would be a great fit for your show. Uh, Joe has a unique story. He has been addicted to drugs at the age of 13 and was selling cocaine by the age of 21. Joe had a life of ups and downs that isn't fair, that isn't until after a massive panic attack when he was 38 did he find meditation. Uh, Joe knew that without meditation, he would be, uh, he would be able to escape the pain that he had been, le- living, uh, had been leaving him, uh, an unfulfilled life, and embrace a life with more fulfillment than ever before, which is amazing. Uh, we'll talk a lot about meditation here because I'm super into that as well. Uh, continuing on, Joe learned from how to focusing on one's thoughts. You can unlock the power that's been holding you back. Joe holds a certificate in spiritual psychology from the University of Santa Monica, and he's now made it his life mission to inspire others that no matter what their backstory is, they too can become successful in life. Uh, Joe has also started uh, Spor- Sporadic Warrior, and we'll talk more about that here coming up. Um, t- helping uh, recovering addicts maintain their sobriety through meditation and fitness. Um, and that's kind of the, the quick bio here, and that's how we got connected. So without further ado, Joe, I'd love to kind of welcome you out here. And uh, man, what, a, what a story that is. I can't wait to learn more about you and uh, what has brought you to where you are from to the uh, inspiring person you are now. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a long journey, but I realized that uh, the more that I talk about it, the more that I get the story out there, the more people have been reaching back out to me from years ago. 
and uh, asking me in full detail about it and how I can help them. So it's, it's been a, it's been a beautiful thing. Well, you know, um, I'm just kind of curious, 13 is pretty young to be doing, you know, cocaine and selling drugs. I'm just kind of wondering what your background was, where you're living, what kind of environment, and just kind of, if you, you know, we talked briefly before the, uh, the, the show got recorded and rolling, and you said you're an open book, so I'd love to kind of dive into the deep, uh, you know, rugged and raw situations <laughs> of uh, where you came from and uh, how you kind of overcame all that. Sure, sure. Uh, well, you know, at 13, I was introduced to uh, cocaine. It was the first drug I'd ever done. And at that particular time in my life, uh, I was very overweight. Uh, there was a lot of awkwardness going on in the childhood. So when somebody offered me something that could possibly take that away, I jumped on it uh, in a heartbeat. Um, the selling drugs didn't come into play until I was about 21. Uh, but in between there, there was a, I like to call it life lesson of learning and growth. Uh, my spiritual path was not the easiest, but it did end me up here where I am, and I'm very happy to be where I am right now. Uh, I guess the, the best way to put it would be that I was looking for anything to numb my soul from growth. Okay. So anything that was passed my way, I took, I took in, internally, whether it be you know LSD, cocaine, heroin, whatever was really thrown my way, I went into. Uh, this continued on probably... Uh, next like 10 years or so until I started coming into my own around 21, 23, right around there. And then um, somebody had asked me to, you know, hold on to some cocaine and perhaps sell a little bit at the club I was working at at the time. And reluctantly, believe it or not, I said yes. And I, uh, I'm sad to say I was not much of a drug dealer. I was busted within three months of starting selling drugs. <laughs> so I was not good at it. It was not my talent, not where my talents lied. Uh, after that, uh, get it, going to jail really opened your eyes as to what you have done to your life and where you are in life. Uh, you know, for me, it, it was one step towards recovery going into jail, but it definitely was not the last. Uh, my turning point, or one of my many turning points, I like to say, was when I was 24 and I was in a rehab facility in Ocala, Florida. And... I just couldn't take it. Uh, I was there for about three or four days and I'm like, I'm out of here and I'm walking in and I called my aunt at the time and I, I said, I'm leaving here. And she goes, if you walk out of that facility, you're completely cut off. No one in our family will ever talk to you again. No one of your friends will ever talk to you again. That will be it. Your life will never be the same if you step foot out of there. Wow. Yeah. And up until that point in my life, I had, uh, I had backing. I had enabling. My rent was short. I could call a family member that would help me out. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, it, I stepped out of there and I walked. I said, screw it. I'm walking. Well, I ended up about 10 miles north of that facility at a uh, Publix, which is a grocery store in South Florida. And I was waiting on a money order to come through from my best friend, who was the last person I called to actually transfer me some money. Mm -hmm. And he sent it. He did send it, you know, and uh, it never showed. And to this day, I believe God intervened and stopped that money order from coming through. Wow. There's, uh, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, like, that's uh, the, the first thought, like, why I smiled for a second there. You're like, yeah, I finally got, like, sober around, like, 21. And I'm like, 21 yeah. when most kids start, like, their partying and drinking life. And you went from, like, 
13 to 21 and where that progression is usually like you know people are, are having their first drink at 21 in the states and i'm just kind of like this guy's been like this whole back almost backwards you know development because you got started and, and exposed to it so young um so just to kind of you know get a mental picture here so you got started with cocaine at 13 and then when did you start your uh selling or like the three months of selling how old would you have been uh no that's when i was 21 that's when i started selling was that's okay, when you didn't get sober until yeah much later in life but uh that was that was when I started selling drugs. Was at age twenty one. Gotcha. And then you went to jail. And how long was the jail term for? The first uh, time I went in was for a violation of probation for driving with license suspended, and that was for six months. Uh, that's, that's that's such a crazy thing to get arrested for. Like after yeah. everything you were doing, you know, and then you get like you're driving, and you don't have a yeah. license. It's kind of uh, yeah. Yeah. That's the way that the way the way that Florida works is when you get arrested for any kind of drug possession or drug selling, they pull your license immediately. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. And uh, it was actually on my twenty first, or sorry, not twenty first, but it was on my it was on my birthday. I think I was twenty two or twenty three at the time. I'm not entirely sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was uh, I got pulled over. I was doing 110 miles an hour in a 45 zone. Um, and I gave them a, a fake name and they arrested me there for violation of probation. So that was the first time I went in. Right. Wow. And, and just being a 21 year old going into jail, like, what was that like? Like, I can only imagine, like, I've seen movies and that's all I can really kind of, uh, you know, relate to. But what was that, you know, traumatic experience like? Well, I think, I think the intake is probably the worst. So since you've never been to jail, I'll break it down for you real quick. Uh, yeah. the, the intake process is is a nightmare. You got to imagine everybody from every walk of life stuck in a room with no way to use a restroom. There's one toilet. There's about 30 guys in this room and the room's about 10 by 10. And everyone's watching you go to the bathroom. Like it's of course. Yeah. Yeah. You're in jail. There's no privacy in jail. Um, and, uh, so you, you can adapt to that pretty quick. So you stay there for about 12 hours. They, there's people in there, a lot of intoxicated people in there. There's a lot of sick people in there. I won't go into the graphic details, but uh, you stay there. And then after that, you get your picture taken. And then they take you up to a first floor holding cell, depending on what jail you're in. Uh, And then you sit there. And then after about two hours, so this would be about 14 hours actually in jail, you then get a phone call. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow. It's not a pleasant experience. It's not meant to be pleasant. You know, they don't want you coming back. So they're, they're not trying to keep it. Oh, they do give you, I'm sorry, I probably should mention that if you're there long enough in the holding cell, they do give you a bologna sandwich, a single slice of bologna on white bread with one packet of mustard. Man, that is, like, that is scary. Like, I, I, I actually went to a film festival last night, and it was called Chi-Town. It was all about, like, the inner city of Chicago. And it was, yes. it was like it was like a documentary about all these like gang kids going in and out of jail, and I was just like seeing the inside footage of these jails in Chicago, and um, a lot of them were like you know like drug dealers and and just like you name it, and I was just like, man, that is one place I never want to. Actually, you know what? I'm gonna correct you. I have been to jail uh, in Morocco. I was jailed in Morocco. It was like the scariest experience of my life, and it was a total setup scam. Um, I, I won't get into like the, the, you know, super details here, but 
basically, I got taken advantage of being like, a, you know, a, an obvious, you know, foreigner, white guy traveling in Morocco. Um, it was brutal, man. And I was in there and I basically, they had an ATM machine in the, in the jail cell to pay your way out. It was a total scam. But I paid that as soon as possible to get out. I was like, I do not want to be in here a second longer than I need to. And that was freaky. Um, so I can relate on some level, but I, it was a very short, um, short stay. Uh, so how long were you actually in there for? Uh, the first time I was in, I was in for six months. And I was in an in-house, uh, what they call like a bunk room or a, uh, there's about 60 men in, in the cell. 60 men in the cell. Uh, in one giant open area. Uh, the second time I was in, I was in a six-man cell. It was a little bit more private. That was a rehab um, in jail, in-house rehab that I went to that time. Um, and uh, I can tell you, neither one was fun. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I will say that the one thing that people don't realize about when you go to jail is you really learn a lot about yourself because you have nothing else to do. Mm -hmm. So you start going very internal and you get, you get really into your own head. Um, and there's a lot that comes forward for a lot of people, myself included. Well, I can only imagine because talking about, it seems like the whole, the way the whole system works is, I don't know, like I'm, I'm actually Canadian, I'm not American, but I know that the incarceration rate is like, like multiple, multiple, multiple times more than any other country, like close in the world. Like it just seems like it's kind of, not to say it's common to go to jail, but it's not really surprising when you say hear somebody like, oh, yeah, I, I was in jail in, in America for this or that. You know, like it just seems like it's such a high rate of people getting picked up um, for many things, you know, like just look at what happened at the McGregor fight last weekend. Like all those there was so many arrests that night, you know, like people that were just yeah. there fighting in the stands or something. And the next thing they know, they're they're, they're in a booking cell, you know. So, um, yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty uh pretty freaky um so so that was that so like in jail i heard it's even harder to stay sober because there's so much access to drugs there is that is that right or depends on the jail um in florida it's very strict they move you on a constant so there's no gangs they're constantly taking you from one cell to another cell so you're almost never in the same place that long uh I know that I, I lived in Chicago for about 10 years, and I know that wow. in Chicago, that jail that you're referring to is the toughest jail in the country, and that's on California Avenue in Chicago. Yeah. So from what I've heard from friends of mine, a couple of people I know have been in there, they say the rats are about the size of a football. So mm. um, it, <laughs> it's not the best place. Um, you know, Chicago is a beautiful city, but it's definitely not a place you want to end up in jail. I never ended up in jail there, but uh, my my scent was always in Florida. But okay, and uh, yeah, I mean, just from that movie last night, I was like, wow, like it's and and how is it like with gangs and stuff in there? Is it pretty like, you know, like you need you need to affiliate yourself with a certain group to survive? Kind of is that like so. I think, I think what you're thinking of is, is more prison. Jail is where people are waiting to actually go to prison. A lot of people who are in jail are waiting on getting sentenced. So it tends to be a lot calmer. I mean, there are gangs in there, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But 
they're, they're, everybody's trying to be on their best behavior because the last thing you want to do is go in front of a judge in a, in a uh, Beetlejuice colored stri- uh, jumpsuit, which is what happens if you get no fight in there or anything like that. So it tends to be a little bit more laid back. Got it. Yeah. Um, that being said, you still see fights, you know, stuff like that. But it's the difference between jail, I guess, and prison besides that is there's usually no cigarettes allowed in jail. Um, the people who are in there, you could be sleeping next to a, like a mass murderer. They don't separate anybody. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah, first. yeah. So there's no like minimum max security. You never know who you're going to end up next to. Um, That's crazy. It, it, it just can vary. Yeah. It's crazy. It is crazy. It's, it's a crazy thing to have to go through. You're very scared. Uh, when you walk in, you've seen all these movies, what they tell you you're supposed to see when you go in there. And it's nothing like that. Um, you basically play a bunch of cards. You learn every card game known to man. Uh, you learn how to make two-way calls through a system by tapping on a phone. You learn how to eat the worst food you've ever eaten in your entire life and yet somehow still gain weight. And you learn how to shower and use the restroom in front of anybody you could ever imagine. Wow. Wow. Well, the other thing that I heard from a number of books and uh, documentaries and so on, people say that you know they go in you know, uh, with like, you know, someone might be like a small time burglar breaking B and E or something, you know, they cut, they go out with a bat, they come in with a bachelor's, they say of like, you know, burglary and they come out with like a master's and PhD in like, you know, everything and everything. Like, it's kind of like a mastermind place to like, just learn from all these other people who have done these different crimes on how to, and I, I think that that's why there's so, such a high rate of people repeat offenders because they go in, they make these connections they learn about all these other techniques or things to get involved with. Then they go back into society, which is very difficult. I'm sure with someone with a record to get a job, you know, get re, you know, instated in society and, and financially. So they just go back to hustling or whatever they're doing on a, on a higher level. And then they get picked up for something even more extreme. And then they go back. Like it seems to be like this revolving cycle of, of, uh, you know, a routine like that, which is, which is, you know, unfortunate. Yeah, that is, that is definitely part of it. I mean, you will run into people in there. Uh, me personally, I, I always thought, why would I learn something from somebody in jail? Apparently, they don't know what they're doing. They got caught. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, myself included. So, um, you know, and, and as far as the revolving door goes, you when you get out, you probably will end up going back in. But the reason for that is not for you committing a new crime. The reason for that is a probation system in this country is designed for you to fail. So they will come by your house when you're on house arrest and you don't have an anklet on sometimes in Florida, they have this thing called community control. And if the probation officer knocks on your door and you don't answer, if you're sleeping, that's it. Violation of probation. You're back in jail. Wow. Yeah. That's like in Canada. Um, what I know October 17th, they're, they're decriminalizing marijuana. Like weed's going to be totally legal there. And I heard that a lot of the people that did have charges are going to be released from jail or something like that. Is that similar in America? Like, have you heard anything about that with states like Colorado or, you know, Washington and stuff like that? Like, is there going to be something where they can, you know, get people out that were picked up for, for something that was illegal then that's now legal? Well, as far as I heard, California, I believe, is the only place that's doing that. Um, I live in Denver where marijuana is legal. Hmm. Uh, 
they, I haven't heard of them doing anything like that here, but I, or they might have to say the truth and I just missed it. Um, right. Yeah. Cause that would be I know that, good, yeah. good for a lot of people. It would be. Yeah. We'll get a lot of people out of there that are in there for a senseless crime. I mean, yeah. You know, even though I'm sober, I don't have anything against somebody smoking pot. Um, it's, you know, if that's what you want to do, then that's what you want to do. If that's what, I'd rather somebody smoke pot than drink, I guess this is what I'm trying to get across. Oh, like, likewise, yeah. man. Like, I live in the biggest drinking capital country of the world. Like, Korea is, is, is out of control here, man. Like, it's un, these 50 million Koreans consume more alcohol than 350 million Americans, like, on, uh, uh, you know, per liter basis. Like, it's, it's unbelievable how, how much people drink here. And it's because there's no other outlets or you know like they don't need to drink more they need to maybe just smoke a joint and watch a movie and relax you know like it, it would yeah. be a much healthier option than just going out and getting smashed all the time here um but yeah no i'm totally with you on that too uh that, that that's a much healthier option um well, go ahead oh no i was just gonna say that's kind of why i'm creating this program that i'm working on is so that people yeah. who are deciding to move into sobriety have that's, somewhere to go they have something to do that's what I was going to try and transition into now, like to, to hear your journey and, and kind of I'm interested in how you kind of got back to, you know, um, sobriety and, and what you're kind of focusing on now. Uh, so, yeah, feel free to share like your transition from being, you know, I guess, would you say you were addicted to cocaine? Like it was kind of like uh, just a total hardcore, like, does that, like I, I'm not, I'm, you know, I've, I've got friends, actually, my old uh, basketball, I played university basketball and one of my good friends and roommates struggled with cocaine addiction and, and I've seen it firsthand from him and, and a few other people and I can see just how it really just kind of takes someone takes over you know it's, it's just such a uh, an intense situation and I think that people can't really understand it until they've gone through it themselves or they've seen someone they care about and close to go through it um, so so yeah feel free to uh, go through your process and how you got to where you are now well I mean I guess the best way to put it is there was a time uh, where I lived for that kind of lifestyle uh, that died down uh, later on in life. And I switched more mainly to alcohol mm -hmm. uh, and alcohol turned to my primary source of, uh, you know, drug. I mean, there was some marijuana in there as well, but alcohol was definitely the main thing. Yeah. And uh, I want to say as time went on, what I, what happened was I started drinking to, get out of my comfort zone to be more outward, to be more extrovert, right? Yeah. And over time, what happened was, is I couldn't be what I thought at the time was myself without drinking. Mm. So it, it originally turned into something I would use to go out, and then it became something I needed to go out. Right. Uh, and then towards the last three years, it was a, you know, I'd lie to myself and tell myself I was stopping drinking, but the reality is I'd, I'd wake up every morning with a couple shots of vodka right out of a bottle, at least a quarter bottle of vodka, um, just to get functioning, just to get, just to get back to normal. And I was in a very high stress job at the time. And what, it, it what was, were you doing? Uh, I was working for a tech company at the time uh, as a support engineer, tier two support engineer. Okay. And uh, we would get a lot of tickets coming in. It's a very high stress environment with somebody constantly over your back watching you. Yeah. And uh, it was actually condoned. People didn't care whether you came in, you know, smelling like booze because they knew how high of a stress job it was. So they'd let it slide. Um, and this kept going eventually until my boss pushed me to a point where I snapped. Well, uh, I don't know if you've ever had a panic attack. 
but they're, yeah, they're, they're pretty bad. And, you know, I've had them throughout my life and usually a couple shots would get rid of it. But since I had built up such a tolerance to alcohol, that didn't work. So I slammed approximately a bottle and a half of vodka trying to calm down this massive panic attack. My heart rate was at 149. It wow. wouldn't calm down. I, I called a friend of mine from across the street and asked him to give me a ride to the hospital for obvious reasons. Um, I walk in the hospital, the heart rate's at 149. Uh, I can't breathe, the walls are closing in. They tell me to calm down, like as if that's going to help. Then they give me an Ativan uh, at the time. Then a couple hours go by and I'm sitting there and, and kind of wigging out. And, and then uh, they give me another Ativan and then they literally open the door and sent me out onto the street. They kicked me right out of the hospital. No treatment, no nothing. Wow, How, with, yeah. a, with a big bill, I'm sure, was that quite expensive? Well, I had insurance, so it was only about a hundred bucks. Okay, uh, I've, heard, I've heard horror stories about the American uh, medical. Yeah, so sure. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've also had a thirty-nine thousand dollars bill from the hospital, but uh, this one was only a hundred. Yeah. Nine. Uh, <laughs> so they, uh, I walk down and and I'm walking around the street and I'm stumbling is a better better uh, term for it, and I end up uh, getting back to my house and and I thought to myself, I can't do this anymore there's got to be some kind of change. This is not me. This is not who I am. I'm a fantastic person. I don't need this garbage in my life anymore. I don't need to live like this anymore. I don't need to sustain my feelings with alcohol. Um, and I stopped. My aunt flew in and spent some time with me for the next couple of days, cleaned my apartment. My apartment was a complete wreck. Is this, in, Cal is this in California or Florida? No, this is actually in Colorado. Oh, Colorado. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, so she, she cleaned up the entire apartment and, uh, just basically got everything in order for me because my whole life was a mess. Um, and, uh, I went that very next, I want to say the next day was a Tuesday and I called her up and I said, I really want to learn how to meditate. And she goes, yeah, well, you know, look for somewhere around you. So, I went to a Kadampa uh, meditation facility, uh, which is right around the corner from where I lived. And I sat down, I told them, I said, I would like to learn how to meditate. And they go, sure, no problem. There was just happened to be a class and the class was actually on anxiety. And I said, yeah, right. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and I sat down in there and, and uh, for the first time in my life, I felt at peace. Wow. And it was just such a beautiful moment and I remember it, and I, I've been meditating every day since. Uh, at that time in my life, I was meditating for an hour and a half to two hours a day. Now I meditate more about 30 minutes a day. Um, but that, opening my eyes to that, led me into a program called Insight, which is in California, where I, I did a lot of digging, a lot of self-healing, and ran into the reason why I started doing drugs in the first place. Uh, and at that time, I had a beard down to about here and long hair. And uh, I hadn't really, you know, focused on who, who I was as a person yet. I just kind of gotten sober. Yeah. And um, it was it was a eye-opening moment. I shaved my beard off in that course and my hair. And I went in and got on the microphone and I shared with people in there what, what was going on. And what I didn't realize at the time, or sorry, what I didn't realize up until that time 
was I was hiding as a person in my, yeah, in my head, I had created this tough guy image Mm -hmm. that had lived around me as a protector for so many years that it became my identity. And, uh, I have always been a sensitive man. I didn't realize it until that time, but, uh, I, I was living my whole life as in a lie. My whole life was a lie. The, the person people knew was a lie. They knew me as this tough guy, leather jacket, big beard, I'll kick your ass kind of guy. Yeah. And that was just not me. You know, I'm a loving, sensitive man. And uh, I had to open myself up to that and be vulnerable enough to accept that and then move forward. And once I did, I never even thought about doing drugs again. Just like that. Just like that. You the know, that- switch went off and that was it. That's, you know, two things I can share is one, have you heard of uh, the book, The Mask of Masculinity by Lewis Howes? No, I have not. I'll have Uh, to look into it. Yeah, Lewis Howes, he's kind of like an inspiration why I started this podcast. He's got a really big podcast called The School of Greatness. And his last book is called The Mask of Masculinity. And he shares how, uh, you know, especially, you know, everyone, men and women have this persona that they put on kind of like a, a, a personality they create. And especially for men that want to have this tough guy image or I'm super successful or just kind of like a front basically. And, you know, he, he goes into depth and shares how he was sexually abused and molested when he was a child. And since then he had this total mask and barrier from being able to connect with anyone, understandably. And it wasn't until he went through therapy and, and started sharing his story that he was finally able to take that mask off and say, Hey, this is who I am. This is who I, this is what I went through. And, um, I think that, you know, everyone has traumas on some level with their past or family life or anything, you know, like it's, it's, we're all humans, but we try and mask it and put on this show that, Oh, I can handle it. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. You know, everyone says I'm fine and fine stands for like, you know, like, fucked up, insecure, uh, neurotic, neurotic and, and emotional. emotional yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which is hilarious. But, oh yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. Are you? Yeah. I'm sure you are. Right. Um, yeah. and the second thing to point out about how you just stop like that. Um, my parents, uh, there has been a, his family history of alcohol abuse in my, mm-hmm. on both sides of my family. Um, and I won't get into it. And my dad was never a heavy drinker, really. But, you know, it got to a point where he said, I got to just stop this totally. And he was a heavy, heavy smoker, both my parents smoking. And, and um, my dad would drink now and then when I was really little. And it came to a place where he was like going to lose his job, potentially. And there's something, uh, spirituality in, in Christianity is the, the, the moment of divinity, which is Friday at 3 p.m is when Jesus died. And my dad said at Friday, 3 p.m., he just like had this kind of, not a panic attack, but he just started breaking down. He went into a church, just got down on his knees. And at 3 p.m., he just started like, you know, crying. And just like that, stop smoking, stop drinking. Just just like that. And hasn't had a, a cigarette or, or rarely, you know, he can have a drink now and then. But, um, it, you know, so when I hear stories like yours, it kind of reminds me of, of, of that that um was uh was what i heard growing up um so so yeah man that's that's pretty amazing and meditation is something i i've done vipassana which is a 10-day silent meditation 
um, a few times. And that's, that's a pretty, I think that's the ultimate personal development, like experience. Like I've been to a ton of conferences and, and events, but like going in to a retreat center where they take your phone, they take your books, they take basically everything away from you. And it's just you being with you in silence for 10 days. Like mm. that's unreal. Um, so I think that there's definitely a healing power to just being still and quiet, like you experience through your, your meditation, um, practices. So, so yeah, man, that's, uh, that's super inspiring. And with what you're working on now, you kind of mentioned before that you're kind of putting together a program and, uh, something to assist, uh, other people that are wanting to kind of level up and, uh, clean up. Correct. Uh, right now at the start of it, which is just getting going, we're, I'm just in the process of creating a, a get together of sober people uh, who are looking for something where they would have a one-on-one -on -one situation where they could talk with another person. But uh, initially it will just be us going out and having fun. Uh, yeah. You know, snowboarding, you know, there's going to be spirituality involved and it's a meditation, of course. Uh, just a community where people can go and talk without glorification of drugs or alcohol. Uh, you know, when I was in AA and I loved, you know, AA when I was in it. Um, but one of the things that always bothered me was that I'd get all this emotion out and speak all this stuff up about my story. And there was nobody to talk to after it mm -hmm. felt very alone after it. And, um, you know, I, I think what, not, not, I think I know what we're going to do is we're going to have one-on-one -on -one coaching in it. And you had mentioned, that the circle of, of life of a felon brings them right back into jail. Well, part of that is you have to put down on any job application that you are a convicted felon. Right. And there's a way to approach that. And I've worked for several Fortune 500 companies. There's a way to approach it and get around it through an interview process. So I also want to have a coaching section for that where we can coach people through an interview so that they don't end up back selling drugs. They're going to need to get a job. There's a process to it. You know, you got to do some things. I had to drive a truck for three years. You know, there's there's steps back into it. But now in, in life, uh, you, you can move forward. You can get on. There's another way. You don't have to live, you know, like you have in the past. And um, eventually, I would like to have a initial – this is all for people who are six months uh, into their sobriety. But I would like to have something that that is set up for the initial stages of sobriety to teach people how to do this one-on-one -on -one coaching for other for other addicts or alcoholics or as I like to call them survivors uh, and get them through that initial stage so that they are both uh, in the same wavelength so that they have more than a sponsor. They have somebody you can teach them how to deal with these problems on their own so that when you are triggered and you can't reach out to somebody, which happens quite a lot, by the way. Yeah you know, you'll know how to deal with the problem on your own. Yeah. And, uh, that that's crucial because I can't tell you how many times when I was trying to get sober, I would reach out to my sponsor or reach out to a friend and they just weren't there. Yeah. Um, you know, not their fault. It's just people have lives. They're busy. They're at work. They're, they're here. They're there. And, um, those, those moments are when you really need somebody, but if you have yourself to count on and you have a coaching of yourself or you have a, a, person you can reach out to that's actually reliable or a team of coaches even in the initial stages of recovery I think it'd be crucial yeah man I think that that's awesome um I was going to ask I'm glad that you brought that up what your thoughts were on the whole 12-step program and AA and narcotics and there's a bunch of them like there's sex addicts there's narcotics there's AA um what's your your take or experience on going through that program I, I guess you kind of shared a little bit about that now 
Um, but but yeah, what what's your two cents on that? So I su- I fully support A and NA uh, in all ways. I think that it's crucial for somebody in the initial stages of recovery to stand up and admit that they're an alcoholic or an addict. Yeah. I am an alcoholic. I am an addict. It's a crucial thing to say. You give in. It, in my mind, it changed my complete outlook on drugs. From that point on, I now had a guilty feeling anytime I did it. It wasn't a glorified feeling. It was a guilt feeling. So mm-hmm. just that giving in and, and accepting that, it, it being a first step, is, is huge. It is so yeah. huge. Words don't even describe it. Now, that being said, I thoroughly believe that the two most powerful words, words in the human language are I am. Yeah. And to, yeah. Yeah, and to put a negative connotation after that of addict or alcoholic for the rest of your life, yeah. I I don't agree with. I I, agree. I mean, yeah, you could have, you know, I'm amazing. I am I am God's gift to this planet. I am you know here to help and serve. You could have anything there, anything but that, you know. Yeah, that's that's. I I just listened to a podcast. I can't remember whose it was, but the guy was saying exactly that. Like his the two best words are I am. Um, and that's that's kind of one thing that my friend was saying who went through NA with his cocaine addiction. He was saying that you know all all AA is about is a bunch of people in there talking about drugs and their struggles. You know, like it's kind of whatever you put your focus on and attention, you attract more of it. And if you're always in this environment talking about you know addiction, talking about the struggles, talking about this, you're going to attract and you you know you want to start reframing everything into more of a, a positive site. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. You have to address the situation. Like, Hey, I got a major problem. I need to reach out and get support. And I think at the early stages, it's good to go through that program. And I've researched and and done some of it myself. Um, and, uh, and just to kind of like go through that. But from there, I think what you said is to set up systems or tools or communities and support that kind of says, okay, this is where I was. This is where I want to go and focus now on where you want to go. Uh, instead of where you came from, is, is that, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. Exactly. It's focus on you now. Focus on yeah. your present issues. Focus on your present problems, not on your past. Your past does not define you. It's just a part of your story. Move yeah. forward. Move into a, a positive area of your life. Now, that's you know, I say that like it's easy, and it, it can be very easy if you make a conscious decision for it to be. But you have to make that decision. You know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, people won't change until they're, they hit rock bottom usually. And usually rock bottom is when a traumatic or super intense situation happens that forces that, you know, realization be like, wow, like I need to make some big changes in my life. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's unfortunate that that's what, you know, is the, the trigger that usually causes change, but sometimes it has to go to that. Um, out of curiosity, what do, what have I'm sure like I've read a lot of books by like these rock stars like Red Hot Chili Peppers, Anthony Kiedis, Scar Tissue, and I read Kurt Cobain's talking about like his heroin addiction. Um, if you want to share either your experience or someone else's to kind of like really illustrate how hardcore these drugs can really just destroy someone, do you want to share something that you've seen ex- or experienced that was just someone's rock bottom or or your own? because mm. like, I think that w- what really hits home is when people hear like hey like you know like Dave Chappelle has that skit of Tyrone like the, the crackhead you know but yeah is was there was there an experience that you remember of yourself or someone that you were hanging with and and using with that was just like super scary that really kind of was your rock bottom 
Well, I mean, my rock bottom was what I was saying earlier when I walked out of that rehab facility yeah. and everything was cut from me and all my support system was cut from me. Um, but before that, there was a moment that I will share with you uh, when I got arrested for the second time for a dirty urine on probation. Uh, and I talked to my mother on the phone. I had to tell her I was going to jail. They let me make a call before I went in. And she, uh, I got chills going through me right now just saying this out loud. But uh, she said to me, you'd rather do drugs than love your own mother. And I thought to myself, that's what, that's what I'm doing. Like, uh, I'm, I have no love for anyone. I didn't have love for myself. First right. off, so how could you love anyone else without love for yourself? But yeah. Um, for me, that was one of many moments, um, you know, without going into, it take me hours to tell you every moment yeah, 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 <laughs> no, in my life. Um, yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I can imagine. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I can imagine how hard that would be as a, as a son myself, hearing uh, my parents say something like that. Um, just for, you know, kids, you know, uh, or people, millennials watching this, uh, I just interviewed a guy last uh, week who has a program where he creates these parties that are all sober and he throws them all over the world. And it's basically showing people that they can go out and socialize without drugs, without alcohol, and, uh, and just, you know, have relationships and connections and build community around that. Um, he's actually never had a drink or done a drug in his life. He's 22 years old. I couldn't believe that. Um, but for, for people watching who have, or are interested in experimenting, you know, which drug, like you said, cocaine, heroin, I don't know what, what, what else, um, was like the, the, the most harsh on your body and the hardest to stop. Like I, I can only imagine how from reading, you know, Anthony Kiedis's book of, uh, his heroin addiction, you know, like what was that like getting off these super physically addicting drugs, you know, like it's not just something you can just stop. No, it's not. It's not something you can stop. And it depends on the person. Um, I will say that for me, it was a society that I felt like I was leaving. So when I, when I got sober, I felt like I was leaving everybody I had ever known. Um, and the first time I got sober, like I was working in nightclubs and it felt like I, I had about 300 that's a, that's a pretty, that's a pretty tough place to work after like, you know, yeah, that's yeah. where everyone's like, you know, yeah. wasted and doing lines in the bathroom. Like that. Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 It, it, it was like that. Um, and, uh, all those people that I knew they, they, they're all gone. I don't know any of them anymore. I think I know one, uh, she's a tattoo artist in South Florida, but that's it. Mm -hmm. uh, and to leave that community, to walk away from everyone and everything you've ever known was so hard for me to do. It was almost as hard as stopping drugs. Mm -hmm. the, the friendships that I thought I had and the communities that were around, that, that was hard. I mean, coming off of dope is, is terrible. I'm not going to go too far into that because that could be a trigger for certain people. And I don't want anybody watching to have to go through that. But uh, it when you're at that place, I will tell you that there's no, there's nothing anyone can say that can make you feel better except for time yeah. and a couple of, a lot of blankets and then no blankets and then a lot of blankets and then no blankets. <laughs> That's you go from hot to cold real quick. That reminds uh, me of train spotting. I remember watching that in train spotting. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I actually don't even, uh, what's funny is I really enjoyed that movie years ago and I can't watch it anymore. There are certain movies that I don't bring into my life for that exact reason. And I used to laugh at that movie and I can't even watch it anymore. Yeah. Well, that's, um, that's 
probably a smart move. Yeah, I was talking uh, about triggers. Um, well, well, yeah, man, that's uh, that's that's amazing. So I just, you know, like you, you remind me a lot of my good friend. You know, like I won't say his name, but this guy's like really good-looking guy. Like you know, looks looks way younger than he actually is. I don't know. How old are you? I am forty. Oh wow! Like you look way younger than forty, man. Jeez. <laughs> Like, that's what thank I don't you, understand. You. Like, my body just, like, totally destroyed himself for, like, so long. Sounds like similar, you know, of you. You would think someone that has that past would just look like Hager, but you, you're you a good-looking, you know, like, together, witty, you know, all, you know, like, it, 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 I think that it shows people that there's a stigma around people that come from a background like that, that they're just kind of, like, you know, um, they don't have their shit together, but you obviously do um and, and so does my friend and it's, it's good to see people that have that resilience and a w ability to kind of come back and overcome the uh the physical and um you know uh challenges of of you know that living that that lifestyle um but but that's awesome so you know you, you're talking about putting this community together so how can people kind of reach out and learn more about what you're doing and uh and support it or get involved with it um if you want to share some information Sure, absolutely. Um, so right now, uh, you can go on my Instagram account, which is M-I-N-T-Z-E-R, Joe. I'll link it below. Uh, yep. And uh, also, uh, I have a website set up that is Sporadic Warrior, S-P-I-R-A-D-D-I-C-T Warrior.com. Yeah. And that name came up from Spiritual Addict, is where, where so I just combined the two together. And uh, that's really how I feel. You know, I'm a spiritual addict who really enjoys the gym. So the working out part is warrior. And I found that my new drug these days is fitness. And that's, that's really where I go to that and communication and love, Yeah, man. If you've got love in your life, if you have love for everyone around you, if you can look at somebody in your life without judgment and accept them for who they are, your life is amazing. Just yeah. that little step to not judge someone and just be there, you know, walk past a homeless person on the street and talk to him for a minute and go, how are you today? Yeah, that's so Instead cute. Looking at them like, God, this guy, you know, what am I going to do with this guy? He's homeless. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's just those little changes you can make in life, especially being that today in the United States is random act of kindness day. Yeah. It's a really good energy out there today. Even in the store, people are all smiling. Everybody's kind of walking around. So the grocery store is beautiful. Um, but uh, yeah, if you want to reach out to me, Spirotic Warrior, there's a way to reach out to me through there, or you can reach out to me through Instagram. I answer all messages through both. Awesome. Uh, yeah, and we're in the process of creating this program, starting in Denver, hopefully moving to California next. And um, we will have Zoom meetings in case people just want to meet up on there and talk. And, and I just want to let people know that I'm here to talk. And that's my way of giving back. I, I do answer messages. I do answer phone calls. I will help you. That's, that's amazing, man. And that's just, you know, like in this world of technology and hiding behind screens, I think what's really lacking is just like that connection with people. Like, you know, like I remember back in the day when you would get your phone bill and you would be way over your <laughs> phone minutes, you know, like your talk time, you're like, Oh, I need more talk time. And now it's like, who did, who did I talk to for 10 minutes on the phone? Like, where did that just all come from? It's like all oh, this message, but I, my data is like way over, you know, like it's like totally flip how we're just, you know, texting instead of talking or meeting society these days, which I think people are really hungry for. So I think what you're doing and setting up with your program and my other friend Jacques, who's got this sober all over party tour, like giving people an opportunity to come out and meet other people who are wanting to live a healthier, you know, uh, lifestyle around wellness and, and just really, um, you know, looking at 
who they really are and taking off the masks and you know putting down the drink and just going up to tell someone to say hey how's it going instead of waiting to get drunk to approach someone or things like that so um yeah man i think what you're doing is really good and i'm really really happy that your agent um trevor connected us so i'm really stoked that we got to share your story and for you to have gone over, gone through, you know, like people say that, oh, I wish that never happened. And I'm sure there's a lot of it that you wish never happened for sure. Um, same with me. There's things in my life. Like, oh, I wish that didn't happen. But I think these things really give you the confidence and the experience to kind of move forward in a really powerful way to help or be an example or be a leader for other people going through those similar challenges, you know? So, um, yeah, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, what you're doing is, is awesome. Thank you. And I, I will say that uh, I, I truly, and I know this is going to sound crazy, but while there is, there was like maybe one thing I regret in my life, uh, as, as much as I thought about it like that for a lot of years, one thing that came to me over this last year is what I thought was uh, my greatest failure in life actually turned out to be my greatest success. And without going to jail, without doing, without you know, going through drugs and, and everything else over these last years, I wouldn't be the person I am today. Yeah. And you know, without that path leading me here, I wouldn't be able to do this. So, I mean, if that's what it takes to be here, I feel I feel pretty damn good. So I'm okay with that. You know. Well, well, yeah. You know what? What we'll do too is um, offline. I'll connect you with a couple guys that have a similar story to yours and. Uh, one guy, uh, his name is David Sharp. You can look him up. He's got a huge, huge, like, you know, following, really successful guy. And, uh, yeah, he's like a heroin addict, and he was on the street for a long time. And, um, you know, just, just one day just said, hey, you know, this is – I'm going to turn my mess into a message. And he's gone around the world, like, sharing his story about overcoming his uh, his mess and turning it into a message of inspiration and empowerment for other people that are struggling with uh, – you know, uh, drugs and uh, addiction and heroin and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll connect you with a couple guys that are, you know, could maybe, you know, um, feature you on their shows or whatever, too, because I think you've got a great message and you're a really great speaker. And, you know, you can tell that you've got a lot of uh, wisdom and, and things to share with people. So uh, that's thank awesome. you. Just, just real quick, you know, you mentioned that that rock bottom moment with your mother. What's your relationship with, with like your mother and your family now? Is it kind of reconnected or? So, so something that I'll let you in on a little secret of mine. I call my mother twice a day. Um, and, and the reason I do that is because when I was on drugs, if she didn't hear from me for a day, she'd be losing her mind. I think I probably took 20 years off the poor woman's life uh, with my habits over the time. So I call her twice a day and I call my father once a week because he doesn't require as much attention. <laughs> but uh my relationship with my family is amazing and I credit almost all of my sobriety, you know, besides to myself, to my family. And if it wasn't for my family being there and doing the things that they did at the times when they needed to be done, I wouldn't be sitting here in front of you right now. Well, I'm sure that they'll love to hear that, you know, I'm sure that they understand that, but it's, it's something else to, to hear that. So I hope that you, you know, share this with them and they'll be very proud and inspired to hear, uh, you know, the incredible progress that you made. Um, so you said that you're 40. Do you have a family or kids or, or married or? I don't. Um, and uh, it's funny. Uh, somehow I got uh, I didn't end up with kids after all the uh, partying for all the years. But uh, right. <laughs> um, no, I don't. I don't have a family or kids. Uh, I am currently single. Uh, but 
I do want to get married. And uh, one of the things that was in my life and as an addict, you, 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 you avoid relationships, you avoid responsibilities. Yeah. And then when that goes away, then you realize how much you've missed in life. So that is my next step. That is my next uh, move, so to say. Gotcha. Gotcha. And are you currently in still working with uh, the tech industry or are you? Yes, I, I still work. I still work in the uh, tech industry on the side. Um, that is my, my day job. And then outside of there, I dedicate probably about 25 to 30 hours a week to this. Amazing, man. That's awesome, man. Well, well, like I said, man, very impressive. I'm really uh, grateful for your time here and uh, thankful for your, your agent, Trevor, for connecting us. And uh, it just shows you, you know, when you put something out to the universe and just say, hey, you know, this is uh, an option or opportunity. I'm looking at connecting with someone around. Amazing doors open. So I'm really glad that we've uh, been able to connect and uh, build this uh, connection. And uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll stay in touch. And if there's anything I can ever do on, on my end here, I'm happy to, you know, support any way I can. So um, any, any closing thoughts or things to put a bow on this and wrap it up before we uh, log off? Uh, so this is, this is on my site, but it's one of my favorite quotes. So I'm just going to say it anyway. Cool. Uh, something, that, something that came to me a while ago, and it's that you, you don't need to feel pain in order to heal. Wow. Huh. That, that is uh, very true. And that kind of just gave me, yeah, like everyone, I think that, I think that the really good thing that people that do have challenges in life or addictions, they're kind of forced to take a hard look at who they are, but people's life who is just kind of like this mm. continues just kind of like this, like it just kind of like, but when it's like this, like my life has been like insane, like it's just been, uh, yeah, it's, it's been no lack of challenges or, you know, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, there, there, there's been a lot to, uh, to overcome, but there's also been a lot of awesome things too, you know, like, and I, for me, I would much rather have a life that's kind of like this cause it's living, you know, like I just saw a video the other day that just says, you know, like a life like this is flatlining. It means that you're living dead, you know, basically like you're living dead. If there's never any highs or lows, you're kind of, you're flatlined in life. But if there are these peaks and valleys, it means that you're actually out of your comfort zone. You're making moves like, you know, things are happening. Um, so, so, you know, however stressful it is for you and those who care for you, I tell my parents, I'm like, well, would you rather have me just being like this, you know, <laughs> for, for, for a little pun here, a regular Joe, you know, you're definitely, <laughs> no, you're definitely no regular Joe, but there's so many out there that aren't really pushing the limits or, you know, growing and developing. Uh, on the level they could. Um, so cheers to you for not being a, a regular Joe, my man. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for having me on your show. Absolutely, man. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that show. Uh, if you have not yet, go ahead and check it out on YouTube. Subscribe. Uh, same with iTunes. If you enjoyed this, go over, please leave a five-star review and a review on iTunes. It really helps. And share this. And go ahead and connect with Joe. Reach out to him. He's a phenomenal guy, as you heard and share this with anyone who needs to hear it and can benefit. So thanks again for tuning in. See you all on the next episode. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And before you leave, two things. First, as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, I'm offering a free one-on-one -on -one coaching session with me to talk about anything and everything you want. Confidential, we get on the phone and we just connect. If you'd like to do that, two things. 
go ahead, leave a five-star review on iTunes for this podcast, write a quick little review, then go over to YouTube, search Quentin Carlin or Self-Developed Life, subscribe to the channel, and once you do that, send me an email, quintincarlin at gmail.com. My email is in the description below, and we'll set up a time to connect. This is limited time offer. I don't know how long I can continue to offer this for, but I'm definitely doing this now. For those of you who help support the show, I want to support you back. So go ahead, take care of that, reach out to connect, and I look forward to getting on a call with you as soon as possible. Have a great day. See you on the next episode.